Hi and welcome to St Ninian's Sermons Podcast. My name's Stuart, I'm the Minister at St Ninian's in Stonehouse, which is in Scotland. We are a local ecumenical partnership between the Church of Scotland and the United Reformed Church and that means we reflect both traditions in our work and worship. So let's listen to our reading for this week and then get on to the sermon. The reading from John 4 verses 5 to 42. So he came to a town in Samaria called Zikar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have five husbands, and the man you have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Women, Jesus said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has come now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, calling Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. The disciples rejoined Jesus. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? 
My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop by eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many Samaritans believe. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Amen. Last week we read from those famous verses of John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now I know that people both love and find these verses a struggle. They beg some serious questions. We talked about some of them at the Bible study during the week. What about people who don't believe? What happens to them? The whole world? Really? All of it can be saved. How does that work? If nothing else, the current situation is bound to raise all kinds of questions for us. How could it not? But I think the questions are good. I really like questions. In fact, I much prefer questions to answers sometimes, usually. I think when we ask our honest and heartfelt questions, when we verbalize those things that are deeply felt, the things that trouble us, especially our questions around faith, what we do is, I think, rather than taking us further away from God, we move deeper into God with our questions. It was questions that prompted Nicodemus to go that night to meet Jesus, to ask his questions, to be open to the answers that he got, no matter how strange or how challenging they might have been to a man who thought he knew this stuff pretty well. He thought he knew all about God and what God wanted for the world. I mentioned in passing last week that the the end part of the story from verses 16 onwards, read more like commentary than something that Jesus said. It gets a bit weird that Jesus would be talking about himself in the third person, which is always odd when people do that. It's commentary. It's a, the writer's thoughts summarizing the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. And it's an attempt to tell us a bit more about who Jesus is and why that's important. Jesus is the Messiah who will save the world. All of it. And the first thing that happens after that statement is made is that Jesus takes the disciples to another part of the world. Out of their part of the world, away from the comfort zones, away from the certainty of their culture and all their assumptions, Jesus takes them somewhere else. 
into a different part of the world. He takes them to a place that they probably only really know by reputation. Jesus takes them to Samaria, home of the hated Samaritans. There's no need for them to go there. Samaria is not on the road to where they're going. The diversion is a choice, a choice that Jesus makes, not a choice the disciples would have been happy with either. Samaria was a borderland. It had been invaded countless times over the centuries. The community was Jewish, sort of. They followed the same rituals like circumcision. They prayed to the same God. But they'd also picked up some of the rituals and customs of the people who'd invaded over the years. That's what happens during occupations, isn't it? People marry and have children. Some of the people never go home again after the invasion. They stay and build their lives there. And so Samaritans were seen by the Jews as outsiders, as collaborators even, who'd polluted their Judaism with things from other places. And so the Jews avoided going there because they thought they were unclean. And to be honest, the Samaritans avoided the Jews too. There's another story about that. But if John 3, 16 and 17 are to be made real, then where better to begin than right in the middle of one of the most problematic areas around? The disciples go off to get some food, leaving Jesus sitting at a well with a Samaritan woman who's drawing water in the full blaze of the noonday sun. She's about as opposite to Nicodemus as you can get. Perhaps the most striking thing for us today is that Nicodemus is connected. He's powerful. He's a decision maker. This woman is isolated. Here she is alone, getting water at midday when no one else is around. She's avoiding other people. I think that's an idea that some of us know a little about and in the coming weeks all of us sadly are going to know an awful lot more about. Social isolation. But here in the sunshine of the midday there's nowhere to hide. Jesus startles her. Give me a drink. She must have been thinking, how rude. Not even a please. Just another stuck up Jewish guy that thinks he can order me about. But her response is clever. We don't share things with you, us Samaritans and Jews. We, we don't do that. And you don't have a bucket. All of a sudden, she has more power than she thought she had. She has a bucket. The only way Jesus is going to get a drink is if she helps him. But why should she? And more to the point, why is he even asking? He knows the rules. Her statement is as much a response about the relationship between the two tribes, between the Jews and the Samaritans, as it is about getting water. And she's quick to stake the Samaritans' claim to the legitimacy of their faith, isn't she? We've got a shared ancestor, Jacob. He dug a well here. Don't be coming here with your sending ways. And Jesus, as he so often does, takes the conversation to an unexpected place. He invites her into a deeper conversation, a conversation about something else. Living water. And she's intrigued. Living water, what's that? 
It won't ever run out. That sounds good, especially to somebody like me. I could do with not coming to this well every day, especially in the midday heat. And there it is, someone like you. It's the way in. The entrance into a deeper conversation about her identity. She's already told Jesus all the cultural stuff. I'm a Samaritan. I'm religious. She's talked about all that stuff. It's what we do with strangers, isn't it? We chat about superficial things. But that's not what Jesus is interested in. Jesus wants to talk about who she really is. So he asks her the one question that she wants to avoid. He asks about her husband. And her answer has for years condemned her as some kind of immoral woman. Which is not the case at all. If anything, she's a victim. A victim of circumstance and of men. She's had five husbands. There are only two ways that that can happen. Her husbands have either died or divorced her. She hasn't done anything wrong. If she had, she would have been stoned to death. This woman's circumstances are not her fault. And she now lives with a man who isn't her husband. And we assume all kinds of things about her. She's doing exactly what the law dictates. She's living with the man who's probably her brother-in-law, the brother of her late husband, who's duty-bound to look after her in such circumstances, but not to marry her. The woman admits her truth, but it's a truth that Jesus already knew, because she is known, fully known, completely known. And even though Jesus knows completely, he's still there, still speaking to her. But who is he? Who is this man at the well? You must be a prophet, she says, to know all that kind of stuff. And then Jesus lays out a prophecy for her. Soon it won't matter where you worship. Soon everyone will know God in a whole new way. Soon, very soon. Oh, I know all about that, she says. The Messiah will come and... You can almost hear the penny drop. When the Messiah comes, he will tell us everything. Just like you have done. I am he, says Jesus. And all of a sudden, for the very first time, Jesus has revealed who he really is. I am. Such a simple statement of identity. We all say it. I am Stuart. But that's not what Jesus is saying. I am is the name of God. It's me. The one you've been waiting for. The rest of John's gospel is all about revealing who Jesus is to his own people. And they can't understand it. They just don't get it. They don't believe him. But here by the midday well, there's no darkness, no shadows to hide in. Jesus repays the woman's honesty with a revelation. I am he. 
the very first revelation of who the Messiah is is to a woman an outsider a Samaritan someone who's overlooked at best and more likely marginalized and stigmatized and she leaves her water jug behind a symbol of her old life she won't be needing that anymore because she's full of living water and she does something remarkable she goes to her village the people she's been avoiding at the midday well the people who gossip about her call her names snigger behind her back the men who have let her down so badly and treated her so poorly and she tells them all there's a man here who knows all about me I think he could be the Messiah come and see and in the meantime Jesus' own disciples have come back some lunch And as usual, they have absolutely no idea what's happening. All they can see is that Jesus is breaking the rules again. He shouldn't be talking to this woman, but nobody's got the guts to say anything. But even more remarkably, the people of the village all believe her. They believe her. They accept her invitation and they come and they meet Jesus for themselves. And he stays with them for two more days. Bet the disciples were delighted. This story tells us that discipleship is for anyone. And that mission is for everyone. This woman whose name we don't even know witnesses to the whole of her world. And that's what each and every one of us is called to do. She wasn't worried about what people might think or what people might say. She just knew that people should have what she had. She wanted her friends and neighbours, her whole community, to have this living water because she knew she had been changed. And the story ends with the people of that village affirming her. Everything you said was true. Both the woman and her message are celebrated. John's Gospel tells us that Christ came for people who walk in the darkness. Friends, we live in dark times and it would be easy to be overcome by that darkness. It would be simpler just to retreat into ourselves and just to look out for our own needs. But perhaps now more than ever, We need to look out for our neighbours, holding them in prayer. A calling that's more urgent now, more vital than I think we can even imagine. There's one final revelation. They said to the woman, we know that this is truly the saviour of the world. We know that to be true. The rest of the story tells us exactly that. But this is the only time in the whole of John's gospel that the word saviour is used. The only time. This is John 3, 16 and 17 in action. This is what it looks like. This is how it happens. One conversation at a time. 
the sharing of our living water with our neighbors and friends. Because God really does love the world. All of it. All of us and everyone else. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments, questions or thoughts about this week's sermon, then please do get in touch. We create this podcast at anchor.fm where you can leave us a voice message. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We post the audio of the whole service each week on our website. There are details of all of this in the show notes. If you're in the neighbourhood and want to join us in person, we meet for worship every Sunday at 11am. We'd love to see you.